Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to Brolosophy. Today's podcast is supported by our sponsors, and our sponsors are Yeti, True Protein, and Athena. Yeti, guys, is basically an outdoor cooler company who have the best soft tanks in the business, soft coolers that is, 100% leak-proof, ice for days. They've got the legendary Tundra cooler and their hard coolers range. They've got heavy-duty ramblers. I've got all types of accessories, tanks for outdoor parties. Basically, guys, if you want anything to do with outdoor outdoor cooler equipment and uh, ultra durable buckets for your uh, for your for your parties and for your um, oh geez, I'm not doing this one uh, this read too well, but basically, Yeti are an amazing brand, and we're really happy to have partnered with them. Um, and if you want to check out their range, you can do so at yeti.com.au forward slash bro that's yeti.com.au forward slash bro uh, also guys you can also check out our sponsor that is true protein so true protein are a supplement company based in australia servicing australia and new zealand um, the countries of australia and new zealand and they're bloody unreal They've got all sorts of protein powders, whey protein, vegan protein, weight loss protein, night protein, elite protein, collagen protein. What on earth is collagen protein? So they've got everything that you can really want though, guys. They've got all sorts of health foods, um, protein bars, mug cakes, pancakes, chocolate, bits and pieces, superfood powders, and it's all healthy for you and it's all the best quality. So we're absolutely stoked to uh, be partnered with True Protein. So... If you want to uh, check them out, head to trueprotein.com.au and use the code BRO for 10% off at checkout. Also, this show is brought to you by Athena. So what we do at Athena, guys, is we take super talented freelancers from all over the world and we plug them into our clients' businesses. So effectively, um, people say we're talking a, a say we're talking a small small business in Australia, so small business in Australia or, or New Zealand or the United States, wherever we are, say you're a small business in Australia and you're really just trying to get off the ground and you want some help in your team but you can't really pay $50,000, $70,000 per annum for an employee, you can find uh, a great employee through us for a quarter of that price. So, um, And what you're able to do is you're able to support someone in, a, in an economy that's not doing as well. So we recruit from Argentina, Peru, Colombia, Venezuela, the Philippines, Sri Lanka. We have some amazing recruiting areas and, and a lot of the people over there aren't doing so well. The economies are trash compared to probably most people listening in this to this podcast. You know, you're probably in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, the US. We're a lot luckier. Um, economically than a a lot of the countries that we recruit from so you're able to actually support an entrepreneur on that side of the world and we will help support you the entrepreneur wherever you are so um, if you want to check out our services then you can head to athena.co that is a-t-h-y-n-a athena with a y and at the inquiry box when you go to uh, make an inquiry just put the code bro and you'll be eligible for 20 free hours of virtual assistant services. Here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. 
This is um, Philosophy Through the Eyes of an Idiot. I am that idiot. I am Bill Kerr. Um, thanks for listening to the show and Happy New Year. So, I was wondering um, what show we should release for the first Monday of the new year. And um, I decided to release a solo show because um, basically I thought that it would be a chance for me to answer a question that I get posed all the time. That is quite a valuable question to people because um, people always want um, feedback and uh, and I guess feedback's the wrong word. People, well, put it this way. I ran a travel company for a very long time, an adventure travel company, AdventureFit, for those of you who uh, have just started listening. And I've traveled a lot. So the number one question I've probably been asked the last five years of my life is what are your favorite countries or what are your favorite travel destinations or what are your favorite experiences you've ever had in your life that's because I guess I ran adventure fit um, I traveled extensively myself and I also um, don't know don't know why else uh, yeah so I get asked it all the time and I have some pretty good answers and um, considering the time of the year so it's the first week of January through running AdventureFit, I know that there is a time of year that people go out and plan all of their holidays, and that's now, effectively. So uh, this next kind of two-month period is when everyone around Australia, everyone around the world, really, the Western world, will plan their holidays. Um, so a lot of people are probably thinking about it. So I decided that I'd do a little, little spiel about some of the top places that I've been. So it's funny because I get asked, what's your favorite country all the time? And I can't actually answer with one country. I'm just, I'm against it. I can't do it. So what I normally say is I normally say Mexico, South Africa, and Brazil. So I've got those three written down here. But that's old. That's my, that's my always has been answer. Um, if I'm to give it an updated answer, you can't give six, but I've written down six. So... The other three are Iceland, oh, my lord, oh my god, that is, how that is not in my top three, I don't know, so maybe one has to make room for Iceland, Vietnam, oh, Vietnam is fucking unbelievable, and Japan, and Japan, I'm probably not really riding the Japan wavelength anymore because um, it was a while ago that I was actually there. But, oh man, it's still such, a, such an amazing joint. So, look, I don't really want to squeeze one into the top three. I don't want to kick out Brazil because that would be madness. South Africa is off its tits. And Mexico, if I had to choose one, can't believe I'm saying this, but if I had to choose one, it could be Mexico. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a few of these places and why they might be good ideas for you guys to travel in 2020. 
So, let's start with Brazil. So, I'll give you a little bit of feedback on Brazil as in, or not feedback, I'll give you some reference. I've used feedback twice incorrectly already. I'll give you some reference on what was going on with me in my life when I hit Brazil. So, you got to imagine, I've been traveling for about four months in Latin America. A lot of that was, oh, whoops, it's easy. A lot of that was um, pretty party heavy. So, I'm about 24, 25 years old at this stage. So, I'm in my absolute party prime. And to be honest, like my party prime uh, was good, was good. I was pretty, I've been pretty, pretty good at a few things in my life. I was all right at footy. I'm okay at weightlifting pretty good. Um, I'm all right at doing business. I think I'm pretty good at business. I, I was above, I was definitely well above average partying. Um, I wasn't the best. I wasn't the best. I know some of my mates are, are better than me and they're still going really strong and, and, and good on them. But you got to imagine, so I'm 24 years old and I'm traveling through Latin America. In my travels in Latin America, you're probably at 24 years old, you're probably on the booze every, mm, let's say, once every couple of nights, maybe a few stretches where you'll drink every night for a week on end, maybe more. And most of those times, most other people, you know, to be honest, most, most Australians, it's a terrible thing, but most Australians will go over to South America and people from all nations, really, they'll go over to South America and they'll just try and plunder as much cocaine um, and just literally like, they'll try and turn Tony Montana and and it's um, it's pretty interesting to see. But, you know, I kind of got sucked into that a little bit. Um, not sucked into, I was, you know, probably, that's probably the wrong term. I was very, very happy to do it. But, um, just took it out of me. So, you can imagine me, I started off at about 83, 82, 83 kilograms when I was traveling this trip. So I'm about 85 kilos now. The heaviest I've been is 88. So I'm my size, but a little bit, little bit skinnier, a little bit leaner, maybe not as thick around the waistline or whatever. Not that I'm fat, but you know, like I haven't really filled out. So by the time I got to Bolivia, so I went from Mexico all the way down through Central and South America, um, sailed from Panama to Colombia, which is a fucking wild story what happened there. Um, and then... Basically got to Bolivia. And by the time I got to Bolivia, I'd lost 8 kilograms. So you can imagine me, I've gone from 82 kilograms and I've gone down to 74. So I'm already feeling a little bit worse for wear. You know, I'm not super vain, but I'm not, not vain at all. I don't, I don't um, it's not something that I'm super, um, uh, what would you say? It's, I don't pay, it's not that I don't pay any attention to how I look or it's not that I don't think about it. But I'm not super, super vain. But you can imagine losing 8 kilograms for a guy who's not an overweight guy is not great, you know, you don't feel awesome about yourself and your body is just starting to shut down, you know. So I've probably drunk four months, I've probably drunk 120 nights in four months, I've probably drunk a hundred of them, something like that, like a lot of them and a lot of cocaine. But by this stage, I'd stopped taking drugs, um, just decided to do that. That's another funny story actually why I did that. But, but when I got to Brazil, uh, sorry, when I got to Bolivia, I got so sick in Bolivia that I lost another eight kilograms. So you can imagine me, 82 kilograms, healthy dude, you know, some definition on the body, you know, looking fit, looking active, looking good, really, like looking, you know, pretty good. Um, getting down to 74 and you're like, okay, cool. You just, uh, you know, been on a bit of a bender. You're looking a bit disheveled. Your hair's a bit all over the shop. You haven't trimmed your beard in a while. You've lost all your clothing and you're all your shit's dirty. That was pretty much me. Um, 
And then that's a, that's a 74 kilograms. And then <clears throat> from being sick in Bolivia, I got down to 66 kilograms. So imagine that. Imagine a dude who four months before was 82 kilograms and he's down at 66. He was fucked up. Oh my God, I looked like, I looked like a heroin addict. I looked like a junkie, really. A real bad junkie. A junkie that's been like going hard at junkieing for a fucking long time. So wasn't feeling great about myself. Add this to the fact, right? So when we're in Bolivia, we decided to, um, we decided to go and climb Huayna Potosi. So Huayna Potosi is a 6,000 plus uh, meter mountain in Bolivia. Now, what actually happened was for some reason that I can't quite remember because it was all a bit of a blur. For some reason, and I didn't really care at the time. Some reason I can't really remember. Huayna Potosi was too... Um, too risky to climb. So effectively, what they do is instead of taking you to Wayne Apatosi, which was a three-day climb, they took us to the sister mountain, which was a two-day climb and it was 6,000 meters above sea level, just a, a bit more, 6'4", six, six, I think. Um, Wayne Apatosi might have been 6'5", something like that. And basically, you go and you climb the sister mountain. So that's what I did. Roisy got sick. I was with my mate Roisy. He couldn't do it because got a, he got altitude sickness and was thrown up. And then it was just me, a couple other gentlemen, a dude named Smooth, who we nicknamed Smooth because every time it was his shout at the bar, he would sneak off and he'd be talking to girls. And then a couple other guys. So I'm not going to go into the story of this trek, but what happened on this trek was it was a total whiteout, um, but the sun was pumping, but it was, a, it was a total whiteout. So I decided everyone was throwing around zinc and sunscreen and so forth. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm cool, guys. It's a white- You can't even see the sun. And me not being super switched on when it comes to snow and so forth, didn't know that you've got just as much chance of getting burnt if it's a whiteout as you do pretty much if it's full sun. So anyway, so fast forward a week. Fast forward a week. I'm back in La Paz in Bolivia. I'm 66 kilograms and my whole entire face from the top of my forehead to my Adam's apple had peeled not once, but twice. I looked like the fucking red skull from Captain America. So, so put yourself in my shoes. 16 kilograms down. In Bolivia, I vomited and shat at the same time. That's a first. Not a world first. I'm sure it's been done before, but for me, it was a first. Luckily, the toilet was in a basically like a janitor's closet where you could wash your hands and shit at the same time. And I was lucky enough to be able to push my face far enough across that I could throw up and shit at the same time. So imagine that. Vomiting, shitting at the same time, 16 kilograms down the drain, sleeping with a nappy that I made for myself. I fashioned up a nappy that I would shove up my butt crack because I was basically weeping. Fuck. I should probably just pump brakes on this story. But anyway, so, 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 and now Red Skull. Red Skull, Captain America style. So suffice to say, I was fucking over it and I was going to go home. What happened then was, I thought to myself, right, if I stay in this current situation, so I was sick for four weeks, lost that extra eight kilograms, like I said. If I stay in this current situation, I'm going home. If nothing changes in two weeks' time, I'm going home. I can't do this, you know? So basically... um, Basically, what I did was my mate Roisy was like, hey, dude, 
what do you want to do? Where do you want to go after this? Because we had no plans. He said, I'm going to go down to Brazil to this, wherever it was. I forget where, where he was going. And I'm going to ch- catch up with um, Breno and Julia, a couple of friends that we'd made from Melbourne. Shout out, Breno. Shout out, Julia. And I'm also going to chase this chick. She's down there, so I'm going to try and hang out with her. And I knew that if I went down there, I'd be partying a fair bit. I'd be having to hang around with people when I felt like shit. And I was like, you know, you know what? You go do that. We'll split. You go do that. I'll catch up with you in five days. I'm going straight to Rio and I'm going to sit on the beach and do fuck all. I'm going to eat fruit, drink acai and surf if I can. So, because I have my board. I had a surfboard with me at the time. So, that was the plan. All right, cool. And this is my last ditch attempt. I was like, right, if I can't get well here, then I'm just going home. If I'm in the same position two weeks time, I'm going home. So, when I got to Brazil... I actually landed and I had not only the weight of this has to make me feel better, I have to get well in this country or I'm, or I'm letting go of, I'm getting rid of the last two or three months of this trip that I've planned my whole life for, or planned the last, my whole life, fuck, planned the last two years for. Not only did it have that, I also had the highest expectations of Brazil out of anywhere I've ever traveled. Rio de Janeiro, Ipanema Beach, Iguazu Falls, the partying, the culture, the happiness, the, you know, Carnival, we're rolling into Carnival. So, so I'm going to fast forward. Okay, so I'm going to fast forward two weeks. And not only had I become 100% well and put most of the weight back on, the eight kilos, not the 16 kilos, Brazil had also blown every expectation that I've ever had out of the water. Which I thought was truly impossible at the time. So that was a pointless story, but a story nonetheless. Now I can tell you about Brazil. So Brazil made me better. One of the, my favorite things in, uh, in Brazil was a place called Lapa. So Lapa, so if you're situated in Rio de Janeiro, then there's many different little areas in Rio de Janeiro. There's the slums, there's the, the, the rich area, there's Ipanema Beach, Copacabana, um, so on and so forth. And there's a place called Lapa. And Lapa has every Friday night, they have a street party. So we were told, all right, cool, make sure whatever you do, you go down to Lapa and you get involved in this street party. So we did, we said, yeah, cool, we went down there. And it was one of the greatest nights of my life. So I'm talking about, so what you do when you're in um, Brazil is you drink their local drink, which is called a caipirinha. So you roll up in Lapa at the start of the entry to the main street party and literally every 10 meters you walk, there's a different Caperina stand and there's a different mu- uh, different theme of music playing at that stand and people are just dancing away, you know, getting fucking whatever they do, whatever dances they do over there, I can't remember. Everyone's having an amazing time, drink, getting drinks off the streets, laughing, carrying on, whatever. And it was just, look, I'm not going to talk about the Lapa side of things forever, but it was just one of the best street parties you'll ever see and it happens every Friday night. Lapa, it just pumps. It was funny because um, we actually ran into some homeless guys and um, I could talk a little bit of Spanish and they could understand a bit of Spanish and c- converse and so forth. So we bumped into these homeless fellas. We ended up shouting them a lift back in a taxi from Lapa to, um, um, towards Ipanema where, where we were staying and where they were from. And I said to the boys, I was like, in whatever, you know, broken Spanglish, Portuguese, whatever you want to do. I said to the guys, I'm like, what are you guys doing down here? And they were basically just said, we came to party. 
And I was just like, fucking hell. This joint's unbelievable. One of the coolest things that happened in Lapa was um, one, uh, one night, because we went there two or three weekends in a row. So I'm in Brazil for like four or six weeks. Rio for three weeks. Um, but we went there three, night, three Fridays in a row. And one of them, um, it was really cool because we're all out on this street and we're all dancing away and laughing and joking, whatever. So I've probably got like three locals around me and maybe like eight backpackers, eight tourists, you know, Europeans and Australians or whatever. And we're standing there having drinks and then all of a sudden you hear just like... Lightning, lightning. Thunder. We look up and we're like, fuck, we're going to get fucking rained on here. And then all of a sudden... All it comes, it comes down. So, and I'm talking like, you know, uh, what's it called? I'm talking like South American raindrops. So, South American humid as fuck Brazilian raindrops. So, you think of like pussy little Australian raindrops, which is like, say the size of like, you know, the end of your pen that you'll click, the, the, the clicky part of the end of your pen. That's like an Australian raindrop. I'm talking like fucking mini golf ball dollops of water. So, within... 20 seconds, we're fucking saturated. But in the meantime, you know, everyone's scrambling. So we're like, oh shit, fucking run. Anyway, everybody, the streets are fucking tiny and they've got like a little awning. All the, all the buildings have a little awning so that there's like a meter that you can stand and, sh- you know, huddle under and shelter under. So, so everyone bails off the street and everyone gets under, underneath these little awnings and the awnings are tall too. So your feet are getting satched. Anyway, we're standing there having our drinks under these awnings or whatever. And then, I'm going to claim that it was me and Roisy that did it, but this could be a lie because I don't really remember. So, anyway, we're 65% saturated, you know? So, we're not absolutely soaked from head to toe, but we're 65% of the way there. And you know what? It was like, why are we fucking standing huddled under these stupid awnings when we're not getting out of here dry? Like, no matter what we do, we're going home saturated. So, me and Rosie looked at each other and there was only one thing that made sense. We were like, embrace it. So, we walked straight out in the middle of the street and just stood there and just drank. And I'm talking torrential downpour thunderstorm style. And then sure enough, like two or three more people came and joined us. Five people more, 10 people more. And then the whole street came and rejoined and everyone was just dancing in the street, dancing in the rain. It was the fucking sickest thing that you'll nearly ever see. It was really sick. So check out Lapa as a street party if you're ever in Brazil. So Lapa is in, um, it's a little, uh, it's a little sub, um, sub area, I guess, of, um, of Rio de Janeiro. So really awesome. So in between, uh, say for example, so we're in Rio right now. We went to a place called, um, we went to a place called Ia Grande. Ia Grande, it's um, for you, you know, guys that can't really understand how Portuguese is written and therefore um, pronounced. It's I-L-H-A-G-R-A-N-D-E. But in Portuguese, it's Ia Grande. I'm pretty sure it's pretty good. Anyway, so Ia Grande is amazing. Um, did some really cool stuff there. Um, spent a day with a chick out there, actually. Um, a, a German girl on a secluded beach. I'm talking like that you've seen in movies hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meters just me and her like fooling around out in the water like fucking all that kind of business whatever um one of the great days but 
Um, so then we made our way down to Florianopolis. So Florianopolis is um, Floripa, Florianopolis. Lots of people might have heard of it if you've traveled South America or if you've planned to or whatever, or you've heard people talk about it because it's spectacular. It's really great, amazing, beautiful part of the world and really good to party. So I'm talking about this from like the lens of a 24, 25-year-old, right? So um, you got to remember that... Um, you got to remember that I, I wasn't really out there at this particular juncture in my life to do all of the cultural stuff and all of the hiking and all of the nature viewing. I was also doing all the beers and all the cocaine as, as well at the same time. So, but Florianopolis is an absolute beautiful part of the world. Um, what else can I say about Florianopolis? Uh, you just got to go there. You just got to go there. A, a funny thing happened in Florianopolis, actually. We were in a um, hostel and um, we walked in there and we said, right, hey guys, where you're, um, where now you're, um, where your nightlife, um, where your nightlife coordinators? And they're like, what? We're like, yeah, yeah, where your, where your events coordinators? Do you don't have any, right? And they're like, no, we don't have one. I said, all right, me and Matt, me and Rosie, we're the event coordinators at this hostel. They're like, okay. So we organized this big party, Wizard, Wizard Stick Night. We made the hostel like $10,000 in a night. We organized it in like a day. Um, and then two days later, we got fucking kicked out. Or I got kicked out. We got kicked out of this joint. But in between then, how's it happened? So we're in Floripa, right? And at this point, we're hanging out with Junior and Bruno. So Junior's the owner of the hostel and Bruno is his right-hand man, like runs the hostel. So we're hanging out with the boys that own the joint, you know? We'd like infiltrated straight up, made friends. And we take a bunch of people from the hostel in Junior's combi van and we go down to this um, nightclub just around the corner. So... We're down there having a good time, whatever. And anyway, we're on the dance floor and I'm dancing around with everyone, having a good time, whatever. And someone comes up, boy or girl, I can't remember, one of the crew comes up and they start dancing with me, like dancing my t-shirt off, like pulling it up as we're dancing. And I'm, you know, I'm all for it. I'm, yeah, whatever. And we take it off and I start spinning it around my head, like spin it around in my hand above my head. And then... Whoever it was, Roisy was involved, my mate, and then whoever else at the hostel, I can't remember exactly who, but a bunch of crew that we were with. So they've grabbed my um, singlet and they're throwing it around to each other and I'm like, oh, give me my fucking singlet back. I'm going to get kicked out of here. And then the bouncer sees me and he's like, hey, hey, he's going, you know, put your fucking shirt on or you're out of here. In Portuguese. Anyway, so they're throwing my shirt around, whatever, and then... After a fucking while, I'm like, oh, give me my fucking shirt. Bouncer comes over. I can see him. He's making a beeline for me. I'm like, guys, give me my shirt. I'm going to get fucking kicked out. Anyway, I grab my shirt and I go to put it on. I'm putting it on, putting it on, putting it on. I finally get it on. I put it on fucking inside out. And the bouncer just grabs me and goes, let's go. Vamanos. Anyway, so I've got my arms behind my back and they're pulling me out that way. But it wasn't too rough or anything like that. It was totally cool. And I've got Bruno on my right. He's the guy that owns, runs the hostel, not owns it. And I've got Roisy on my left. So he's one of my best mates. He's traveling with me. Bruno's yelling out, let him go, let him go. This is bullshit. He didn't do anything. And Roisy's, he didn't do anything. That was my Portuguese accent. Then Roisy's yelling out, I'm with you, mate. I'm not going to let anything happen. Don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm right here. I'm like, okay, cool. Feel good about it. I walk outside so I've walked about 10 more meters through this dance floor, whatever, arms behind my back. I walk outside, I look to my, <laughs> to my left and Roisy's fucking held up, arms behind his back. So the bouncer's got him now. And I'm like, I can't see Bruno, I can't see anyone else. Just me and Roisy, me, arms behind my back, Roisy, arms behind his back. He's about two meters to my left and to the back. 
Anyway, I'm walking along. I'm like, fuck, can't believe this. This is bullshit. I was having a great night. Then what happens is, um, so my bouncer starts yelling in Portuguese to the other bouncer. He's like, no todo bom, no todo bom. Hey, what you do, what you do? Anyway, I turn around like corner of my eye, turn my head. And Roisy's bouncer has him in a rear naked choke and he's squeezing like a motherfucker, squeezing him unconscious. Anyway, my guy's like, no, oh, no, 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 you can't, do you can't, whatever. Yelling at his dude. His dude shits himself. We're on, at this point, we get to these set of stairs. It's like 30 stairs, like steep as fuck that come into the club. We get to the stairs. I still can't really see what's going on. My guy lets me go and starts abusing the fuck, yelling at his counterpart. His counterpart is yelling back, throws Roisy towards me, just back first, just puts him towards me, puts him in my hands, and Roisy's passed out. I thought he might have been dead. He's passed out. So I'm holding my unconscious mate on this massive set of stairs. These two bouncers are arguing at each other, and I'm like, fuck, what do I do? Roisy starts to come to, opens his eyes, looks at me, goes, what's going on? I said, we got to fucking get out of here, dude. Anyway, so, so that's, that's part of the story. What happened next? Oh, fuck. I'm not even going to get through. I'm not even going to get through two of these countries, the way I'm going. Um, anyway, what happens next is, so um, everyone finally comes out. Me and Roy's down the front. We're trying to hide from these bouncers because we know that like, you don't want to get fucked up in Brazil, especially, you know, Florianopolis. So, so Roy's woken up. He's been choked out, unconscious. We're like, let's get the fuck out of here. We're waiting for Bruno and um, Junior. Bruno and Junior come down. They've got like four of the girls from the hostel, five of the girls from the hostel, and they've got like two random girls from the club. So we're all like, come on, come on, let's get in the van, let's go, let's go. And then um, anyway, so we jump in and he's got a combi van that has um, back seat, middle seat, front seat, standard combi van. But instead of having doors that slide parallel, so the door comes out and slides parallel to the body of the car, the combi van has like saloon doors, like swinging open and closed kind of doors. Anyway, so what happens is four people, it's three, three seats, three seats, three seats. Four people get in the back, maybe five. Four people get in the front. Four people get in the middle seats facing forwards and there's one more dude. Two more dudes actually. One that's, yeah, two more dudes. One guy gets in and he sits facing backwards. So he's sitting on like um, the back of the driver's seat. And then there's this one more dude. He's like 100 kilograms. He's probably only like six foot, probably 5'11". Um, he's this Canadian dude. And then anyway, he looks at me as if to kind of say, move over. And I look at him and say, hey, bro, you're not fucking sitting here. Sit there. Face the other way. You're not sitting in here. Anyway, so he sits down and Bruno starts driving. So, uh, sorry, Junior starts driving. Bruno's in the front, flirting with girls um, on the, in the passenger seat. Bruno is... Fuck, keep saying Bruno. Junior's on the left, um, driving with girls and basically flirting with those girls as well. So the reason I say flirting with girls is because we start driving and Junior doesn't know where the fuck he's going. He's got no eyes on the road and he's just trying to pick up this one bird who's sitting next to him. So, And he's had 20 Caprinias and five beers and it's like 3 a.m. and we're in the middle of nowhere. Like, It's not a great situation, but at the time, I didn't give a fuck. So anyway... I'm not paying too much attention to the road, but like, it was kind of like, fucking hell, Junior's all over the shop here. So Junior goes around this one kind of like sweeping right-hand turn and it's like going way too fast, like really hooking it, especially for not paying any attention. But again, 
I remember it a little bit, just kind of like the vibe of the whole car. I was like, whoa, this is a bit fucked. Anyway, comes around this corner and he's starting to go this big hooking left turn. And what happens is he hits the gravel. I don't, this is where it kind of goes a little bit weird for me. But what happens is he hits the gravel and kind of loses it a little bit. So the momentum of the back end of the car swings more and then corrects and swings again. Like he, That's basically what happened. But basically he's going around this corner, not paying any attention and he nearly fucking stacks it. And so much of the car swings out that this Canadian dude starts to fly out towards the door. There's saloon doors, remember? So they're closed, saloon doors, but he's 100 kilograms. So this dude, bang, saloon doors come open. I've seen it happening. I've seen it progressing. I've seen him go towards the door and I've gone to go with him. He hits the door. As he hits the door, they fucking fly open. With my left hand, as I've seen it all happen, I've thrown my left hand and grabbed onto the chick that was sitting next to me and thrown my right hand as far as I could and I was hanging out of the car and with my right hand, I caught this fucking dude, this 100 kilogram dude, I caught him with my right hand hanging out of this combi van. So his feet are in, his body's fully out of the combi van as we're going around this corner. Roisy pissed as all you would not believe how drunk he was, is in the back and he yells out, nice work, doc. Like, so I'm out there holding on to this dude for three seconds, four seconds. Roisy goes, nice work, doc. And I say, fucking help me. The people that are sitting next to me then reach over, grab me by the shirt, grab this dude by the shirt and go, ew, throw us back in the car. It was... The wildest thing that's ever happened to me. I legit saved this fucking dude's life. And it was funny because the next day he came up to me and he was real like coy and shy. I'm sitting at the bar at like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm just sitting at the bar. And this dude comes around the corner and I'm like, oh, that's the dude, that's the dude. He comes around the corner and he sits next to me and he's like, doesn't say anything, doesn't even look at me, doesn't even look me in the eyes. Comes across and sits down next to me and goes, I guess I um, guess I owe you a beer. I said, bro, you owe me more than that. You owe me your fucking life. Anyway, so that's Florianopolis. Definitely check it out. But the main reason you want to go to Brazil and the main reason I believe, I believe it, that, uh, that you want to go to Brazil, apart from Carnival, I did Carnival, fucking unbelievable, so good. But the main reason you want to go to Brazil, I think, is you want to go and check out Iguazu Falls. So when I say Brazil, Iguazu Falls sits on the border of um, sits on the border of Argentina, Brazil. Um, and I just want to see if it's Paraguay or Uruguay because I always get them mixed up. Um, yeah, so Paraguay, yeah. So, so Iguazu Falls sits on the border of Argentina, Brazil and Paraguay. So look, you could say you go to Argentina to go to Iguazu Falls, whatever, but I'm giving it to Brazil for this one. Um, that's another country that could be on this list is Argentina. So anyway, so Iguazu Falls is the world's largest, most, the world's most powerful waterfall. So the world's biggest waterfall. So, I mean, it depends on what you say is big or large. So if you say big or large is height, then it's Angel Falls in Venezuela. That's by far the highest, tallest waterfall in the world. Although it's like a trickle and by the time it gets to the ground, it's like mist. But Iguazu is the world's most powerful waterfall. So big in this case, I'm using big as by overall volume of water. So I will say that Victoria Falls in um, Zimbabwe, in, um, 
Zimbabwe slash South Africa border is also, or actually it might just be, it's Zimbabwe and, um, fuck. Um, that's another one I've forgotten. Uh, anyway, so they both claim to have the world's most powerful waterfall. So it kind of goes between the two, but um, Zambia, Zimbabwe and Zambia. So I've been there as well. But Iguazu Falls, so you can see the falls from um, from both two sides. So Paraguay doesn't really get a side. Paraguay is just like it is technically on the border. But you can see the falls from the low side, which I forget the I forget which is which. But let's say, for example, that the low side is Argentina. So and the top side is Brazil. So when you're in Brazil, so you'll say when I say the top side. So you go to this waterfall and it's the most awe-inspiring thing you've ever seen. It's, it's just, it's incredible. It has 13 or 14 different waterfalls inside of the one waterfall and it goes up to a big, it, they call it the cataract, devil, devil's cataract. So that's where the water first hits and then it will also go around the sides and come down all the other waterfalls and basically the whole thing contained is one of the greatest things you'll ever see. So, but the Brazilian side, if I do have it correct, is you'll see everything from above. So you'll walk around on um, walkways that sit about a meter above the fall, the flow of the water, and the flow of the water, it's not coming down like a like a, a raging rapid. It's like it's a, it's a steady flow of just it's like a it's like a running running river, but it's just it's flat basically. It's nothing crazy, but you can see it from all different vantage points. So you can look over and see the Devil's Cataract. You can see where it's actually just um, it's like a blowhole, the the spray back and the that's where the water actually comes down thick and fast and hits the deck and whatever. And it's so, it's just, you can't, it's like, a, um, you can't hear each other talk because it sounds like a jumbo jet taking off next to your head. It's just the power of Mother Nature in this scenario. It just really makes you feel quite insignificant. It's the first time truly in my life that I've been like, oh my God, you know, Mother Nature reigns supreme. So, and then on the Argentinian side, so that's, we, we took it over two days. And on the Argentinian side, you would go down and you would stand low, stand low, you would uh, walk lower and you would walk all the way down to, on the, other side of th- uh, on the other side of things, about a meter or two above the water at the bottom of the waterfall, there's the same thing. So there's all these bridges and walkways and so forth that you can go and access and you can look at the waterfall. And the best is when you walk all the way up towards the Devil's Cataract, you will see that uh, there's one walkway that goes all the way out and it goes about 10 meters from the face of the waterfall and you look and stand there and you're just getting peppered with this spray and the sound is deafening and it is the most incredible sight you'll nearly ever see. Um, So it's just, it's crazy. So I cannot recommend that more highly. So... Yeah, I would love to know. So, apparently, uh, so the flow of the flow of water going over the falls apparently is twelve thousand seven hundred and fifty cubic meters of water per second. So, just think about that for a split. So, twelve thousand seven hundred and fifty cubic meters. So, meters cubed, meter by meter by meter by meter by meter. Of water per second. Uh, 
That's fucking crazy. So anyway, that's Brazil. Um, for sure, one of the best places I've ever been and, um, and a place that I'll always recommend to anyone and everyone. Um, to anyone and everyone that wants to, you know, holiday in South America. So the next place that I'm going to uh, recommend is South Africa. So South Africa is again like I like I said I will also I will always um I will always say Brazil, South Africa and Mexico at least over the last 5 years as my favorite places I've ever been. So Cape Town as with Rio de Janeiro I often quote as my favorite um city on the planet. So we were there when the Australian dollar was really good. So the Australian dollar was at its highest point. So it was about a dollar twenty US USD. Uh, so that helps. I mean, it doesn't really, you know, make too much of a difference. But but it was really nice because we were able to, and money would go far. But but Cape Town itself. So we rolled into Cape Town and we're like, all right, cool. Let's get some surf. So surf wise, Cape Town has many different areas with many different swell directions and many different winds. So you can normally surf any day of the year in Cape Town somewhere. And we arrived in Cape Town and we're like, right, let's go for a surf. So me and Corza, uh, this is my mate who I was traveling with, me and Corza decided, all right, well, where should we go? So I had a surfboard with me. Corey needed a higher one. So although we surfed, he just wasn't traveling with his because uh, he'd been living in the UK. So anyway, we go to a surf store in the middle of Cape Town in Long Street. So like basically central, not the central business district, but like the hustle and bustle. We go up to a, into a surf store and they're like, oh yeah, Wind and swell today. Um, you should get waves, but maybe check out Musenberg. And we're like, Musenberg, okay, we can do that. So we've got a car. So we drive down to Musenberg. We get to Musenberg and we look up and we're like, oh, yeah, it looks like there's some waves. To be honest, the surf wasn't that good, but we would have paddled out in anything at that stage because we just landed in South Africa and we wanted to have a surf. So we get down the beach. They'd also told us that on the beach, there was another surf store that would hire them boards. I would hire us boards. That they hire boards would hire us boards, um, rent us boards so that Corey could go for a surf or whatever. So we get down the beach and we look up and we see a black flag. And I was like, "Mm, Corza. He's like, yeah. I said, black flag doesn't normally mean have a good surf, boys. He goes, yeah, fuck. So we walk into this um, surf store. We're like, hey, guys, how's it going? We just want to go for a surf. We saw there's a black flag up there. The guy goes, yeah, lads, you don't want to do that. That's, you, can't, you can't do it. And we're like, well, what's a black flag? He goes, well, I'll tell you the gradings if you like. He goes, blue, something like this anyway, so don't, don't quote me. He goes, blue is good visibility, no recent shark sighting. Um, amber is poor visibility, no recent shark sighting. Red is poor visibility, recent shark sighting. And black is poor visibility, recent shark attack. And we were like, fuck, what happened? The guy goes, there was a European dude who'd been living, in, uh, living down the road and he decided to go for his morning swim. Everyone said bad visibility, recent shark sighting, don't go out there, don't go out there, don't go out there. He said, I've been swimming here for 20 years. Every morning I go for my morning swim. I'll be right. Don't be silly. He went out and got his legs eaten off. <whistles> See you later. Don't think he died, but I don't really know much about it. So anyway, but Cape Town's pumping. It's such a sick city. So there's surf all year round. 
the bars and, and, and coffee and food and restaurant culture is as strong as anywhere I've seen on the planet and really good quality. The sport and live, uh, live music. We saw um, Kings of Leon there. Uh, we saw Australia do a, cri- a tour- touring cricket-wise. We watched a rugby game. Um, Newlands Stadium in Cape Town is one of the best sporting stadiums on the face of the earth. Just, it's just got everything you could want. It's just, but again, very much like Rio de Janeiro, it is shrouded in a lot of poverty. You know, there's a lot of there'll be one side of the street will be rich and famous and wealthy, whatever Cape Townians, Cape Tears, and then on the other side of the street will be f- pure like poverty. So it is crazy. Again, like Brazil and like Rio, it has it's the backdrop of Cape Town is it's um it's basically um it's basically shadowed by Table Mountain and obviously Rio is um Sugarloaf Mountain and it's just the ba- best backdrop for a city. It's fucking incredible. So um yeah, so South Africa's really good. We actually went from Cape Town to Jeffreys Bay. So Jeffreys Bay is world class surf. So we we hired a car and drove what they call um the garden route. So, if you're Australian, it's like um, the Great Ocean Road. If you're um, American, it's like Route 66 or whatever other whatever other great highway and road and drive there is in America, um, and so forth. So, really, really pretty. Um, we did the world's biggest bungee jump along the way, 263 meters of um, free fall, or 263 meters, I should say, 12, 11 seconds of free fall. That was fucked. Um, not actually fun. It's one of those things where. You know how you look back on things and you go, oh, that was really good after the fact? Not the case. Not the case. Wouldn't do it again. Wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it was just, oh, it was just so scary. It was, oh man, it was, it was hectic. So, but then you get up to Jeffrey's Bay and Jeffrey's Bay is right hand. Uh, it's just, a, it's a right hander upon right hander upon right hander. It's all right hand surf breaks, but they're just absolutely world class absolutely world-class um we stayed at a hostel there and um just had a great time met some amazing people and the town itself is just really well it's not super pretty i mean it's very coastal and the coast is is amazing the town itself is like a bit meh but the waves are awesome and you know there's always great um good amount of stuff to do in in um, jeffrey's bay because it's just such a traveling destination because of the because of the surf Speaking of sharks, we actually, um, we'd been getting up at 5am to go and surf to beat the crowds and um, we woke up at 5am and uh, we get down, we're probably down the beach by like 5.30, it's a bit of a drive and as we're about to paddle out, we're in our wetsuits and stuff, there's a guy that's paddling in and he's just walking in up the sand and he's talking to another guy and you see him like throwing his arms out, showing like length, the, the, the length um, his mannerisms are shown like, you know, this is the length of whatever. This is this big, this big. So anyway, um, we get down there. We're like, hey, mate, what's going on? What, what are you doing? What are you talking about? He goes, lads, don't go out there. There's a, there was a shark out there. And I said to him, silly me. I said, hey, mate, are you sure it was a shark? He goes, what do you mean? I said, there was dolphins out here yesterday. Are you sure it wasn't a dolphin? The dude looks at me. He looks me straight in the eyes and goes, I've lived in Cape Town for 20 years, mate. Ah, fuck Cape Town. Um, I've lived in Cape Town for uh, <laughs> I've done it again I was looking at my phone um, I've lived in Jeffreys Bay for 20 years mate 
I know what a fucking shark is. And I was like, oh, shit, sorry. Anyway, so this dude comes in, goes up to the car park, just goes, leaves, see you later. So me and Corey are sitting in our wetsuits with our boards on the beach and we're like, fuck, spewing. So we just kind of kick around there. It's a nice day. Take our wetsuits off, whatever. And people are coming down to go surfing. Every like five minutes, there's a different person walking down the beach. And we thought we'd do the right thing. We just, we had nothing else to do. So we just sat on the beach and we would tell people, hey guys, probably not a good time to surf because there's a shark out there. We saw a shark sighting like half an hour ago. After about an hour, just over, this dude who we, who saw the shark, the dude who was paddling in, he comes walking down the boardwalk with his board under his arm and his wetsuit on. And we're like, hey man, what are you doing? And he goes, lads, the shark's going to be fucking miles away by now. I'm getting out there. We were like, uh, okay, psycho. Anyway, so sure enough, he paddles out and then, you know, a few more people paddle out. We're trying to stop people. We're like, hey, that dude fucking saw a shark and then he's out there. He's an idiot. Anyway, so um, more and more people paddle out. And at this stage now, there's about 12 or 15 locals out. The waves are pumping and me and Corey are sitting on the bit. Uh, well, bitch. I was thinking bitch. Bitches sitting on the beach like bitches. Um, we're sitting on the beach. So I said to Corey, I'm like, dude, we're going to have to paddle out. We can't just sit here like this. He goes, oh, all right. So we paddle out and we stayed about 20 meters inside these guys, uh, the whole surf. But we were just petrified. Every time you touch the water in Cape Town, I've done it again. Every time you touch the water in South Africa in general, you're thinking this is the last surf we'll ever have. It's actually so outrageous. It's so outrageous. It's out of control. But, but the trip itself, you know, South Africa was fucking amazing. We, we swam with sharks, um, padded lions. This is in like a lion, walked with lions, padded lions in a lion re-indigenization center. So it's not like when, in Thailand when you go and, um, you know, play with sedated tigers. These are... Um, these are wildly bred lions that they have in a, in a, in a certain um, portion of a natural park where the humans will feed them from time to time and they, they're like friendly with the humans. They raise them to two years of age and then they let them free so they can repopulate basically. Um, it's really great, in fact. Um, so we, we did that. We went on safari. But we didn't see any lions. That was fucked. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was really, really really awesome so I had another funny story I was going to tell two of them actually one when I thought I was going to die and one funny thing Corey did but if we're really being realistic about this what's the time it's been 46 minutes I might make this a two-parter potentially anyway so the next place I'd like to recommend is uh, um, Vietnam so Vietnam is hmm Jeez. Yeah, it's definitely one of the top places I've ever been. So I started off in Saigon. Um, so Saigon is Ho Chi Minh City now, but I, I like to call it Saigon because I just think it sounds cooler. Um, Ho Chi Minh uh, and Ho Chi Minh City, basically... Um, yeah, so Ho Chi Minh is one of the most famous um, um, war generals, I believe, in, um, in all of Vietnam or um, political figures. I don't even know who he was, really. I'm just making that up. So... Let's see who he was. Ho Chi Minh. Yeah, yeah, he was a prime minister from um, North Vietnam from 1945 to 1955 and then it's president from 1945 to 1969. So right in the lead up to obviously the Vietnam War. So um, Ho Chi Minh, the city is named after Ho Chi Minh. Um, 
but yeah, let's call it Saigon. So Saigon is really amazing. Um, it's a big, bustling, dirty kind of city. Like not dirty, but like, you know those cities where they're filled with smog, people are tooting their horns all the time. It's hot and combusted and whatever. It's just combusted. Fuck, I don't know if that's the right word. It's just, but it's got something about it. You know, it's really got, it's got great food, a um, bit of nightlife. And one of the things that it has is <laughs> it has um, Nangs actually, which is, I made a note here about Nangs. Nangs are the, um, when you breathe in the helium, uh, the laughing gas. And um, I had a go at that uh, when I was over there and whoa, Jesus Christ. Uh, I thought I was going to die. Anyway, so they have, um, they have the War Museum. So for most of the Western world, particularly Americans, Australians, so on and so forth, we all talk about the Vietnam War. So obviously, Vietnam aren't going to call, the Vietnamese aren't going to call their war the Vietnam War. That would be a bit weird. So they call it the American War, funny enough. So the American War Museum in Saigon is actually one of the better museums I've ever come across for sure. So basically on the bottom level, it goes through, it walks you through a timeline of events. So the bottom level will be the very, very start. So obviously North versus South Vietnam, the rise of communism, um, what was going around on around the world in communism, um, why North, Viet, uh, North v- Vietnam, why South Vietnam were communist and communism. So yeah, so why they were communists and, um, and how it all kind of, how it was all kind of building. Um, so it might have been North Vietnam. I'm pretty sure it was South Vietnam. It was, um, um, yeah. Yeah, so, ah, fuck, who cares? Anyway, so, so basically, um, yeah, it talks about all, it shows like um, articles, newspaper clippings, famous photos and moments from the build-up. So how it all kind of came to play. So that's the bottom level. So you'll walk around and it's like, and, and, and it's, a lot of it is, um, you know, um, communist paraphernalia from like World War, um, World War II and, and so forth. And, and um, it's just really interesting. So then you'll go up and you'll start to see, okay, cool. Here's the start of the fighting, how it all kicked off. This is why America became involved and more, it's more of a story. So the, the first couple of levels are a story. And then you get up to the third level and you have um, different elements. It's all basically telling a story in the most... Um, uh, it's 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 basically a timeline of of what happened with the war. So, but there's actually a couple of areas that are um, unique. So there'll be like um, heroes of the American War, and and there'll be one room that'll be I can't remember if there's a heroes room, but say for example, I think there is. So like a heroes room, which shows all different um, photos, images, and stories from like the heroes of Vietnam, um, and then there's also a room that is the Agent Orange room. So this for sure is one of the biggest eye-opening experiences I've had in my life. And I, I would say that it would be akin to, to potentially going and seeing um, the gas chambers, you know, going and seeing Auschwitz and, Auschwitz and so forth. Um, that's more like you're in it and you, you would feel, I haven't been there, but you would feel, mm, people talk about like feeling the ghosts of, of, of what happened in the Holocaust and so forth at places like Auschwitz. Auschwitz. Um, that's not really what happens in 
the museum, obviously with the Agent Orange room, but to stand there and see hundreds of images of what happened to Agent Orange victims throughout the American war is gut-wrenching. It is, it is, yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to see for sure. And it's kind of like, so we hear of everything from our side. History is written by the victors, obviously. And Australians, you know, I'm Australian, so we're an ally to the Americans in everything that they do. Americans, we've got a lot of American listeners, so, you know, I'm talking directly about you guys. Um, you know, the UK, so on and so forth. History being written by the victors means that, you know, we don't, we don't really, we don't see the whole story a lot of the time. I mean, now with the internet, it's harder to... History with the internet, it's, it's very hard to suppress information. History may no longer be written by the victors so long as we continue to live in an internet age. Um, I mean, books like 1984 by George Orwell might might think differently, you know, still, or might, you know, allude to a different future that we, we could potentially have. But let's just, well, um, the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is, so when you look through the Agent Orange Museum, yeah, you just kind of, you think of what was actually going on when they were dropping, you know, the... Agent Orange on to Vietnamese towns and villages and so forth. So it's poison, you know. It's 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 poison, and everybody knew it. Um, but what? So the Viet Cong obviously were um, fighting on their home ground, and their home ground advantage was massive. So the Viet Cong would hide in the jungles, and they would you know attack American soldiers, and the Viet Cong were killing a lot of Americans and. America came up with a plan where they would drop Agent Orange from the sky and Agent Orange would kill all of the vegetation, all of the trees and so forth in very quick succession. So it took away an advantage that the Viet Cong had against them, which was the ability to, um, I guess, um, uh, is enact like um, jungle warfare, I guess. That's for lack of a better term. But really... Were the Americans just engaging in chemical warfare? Were they just... Did they know? Surely you would fucking know, right? You would know that dropping these chemicals into an area where people live will kill and maim and disfigure people. This is not a political podcast. You know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to dwell on it. But you're drawing a pretty, pretty, pretty long bow if you think that that wasn't the case, that America didn't know. So... But, you know, generations later, people are still, you know, children are getting born with defects and so forth. So, it was just fucked up. It was, it was really hard to see, really hard to watch, um, or really hard to see. Um, yeah, and you, you can kind of, I think really, one of the things that happens with today's media is we get fed one side of the story. So, always. So, if you're a left, if you're a super left-leaning um, person that you know is into um um the gender non-binary discussion you know like um universal toilet blocks and uh, all around the world and and um you know gender pronouns or whatever so, so i'm just using that as an example so say that's something that you're passionate about i don't give a fuck about it say that's something that you're passionate about and you want to take in some sort of information around that you know you're just fed 
what you believe. You're fed all of what you believe, all of what you believe, all of what you believe. Not like, hey, you know, let's not talk left or right. Let's just talk about that, that particular, um, that particular topic. You know, it's like, hey, have you ever thought about this side of things? You know, you don't get the, hey, have you ever thought about this side of it? You just get, here's more of what you believe, shoved down your throat. So, you know, seeing such a monumental part of history, the Vietnam War, told from the story of the Vietnamese, even for it to be called the American War, was quite fascinating and something that I really valued. I really valued, um, yeah, I really valued learning about it and seeing it from the other side because I think it's healthy to do so. So, um, you know, I'm sure both sides enacted major atrocities against each other. I'm not saying that the Americans, you know, were worse than the Vietnamese or, or whatever. I'm not making any, you know, any statement like that. It's just, yeah, it, it is very healthy and very interesting to, to see things from both sides. So, um, but yeah, I was in Saigon. So when I was in Vietnam, so one of the most common ways to travel Vietnam is to do it via um, a motorbike. So even if it's just, you know, you're in Saigon or you're in Hanoi, you're in, you're in Hue, you're in Da Nang, wherever you are, even just getting around the, the, the city or the town, you know, it's commonly done via motorbike. So it's quite interesting um, that, you know, because that's not really how you do it in Thailand and Bali or Bali scooters and stuff, but it's really weird. It's just, yeah, it's really, really motorbike heavy. And I, and I don't really know why. I think it's just, I guess, something catches on and then it becomes a, a thing and then it goes from there. So... But yeah, so I rode from Saigon to Hanoi. So I rode the whole length of the country. And it's people do it all the time. People commonly do it. Um, so, but what I would say to anyone that would, would, would you know, think to do it is I rolled into this hostel in Saigon and I started talking to these two young lads, German, German fellas, and they were sleeping. They were just like, they weren't asleep, sleep. They were kind of like relaxing and I kind of rolled in really excited like, hey guys, what's going on? How are you? And they'd actually gone from um, that actually gone from one end to the other as well. And I said, oh, really cool. How long did you have? And they're like, oh, we had 30 days, 28 days. And I was like, oh, sweet. Was that enough time? They're like, nah, our bodies are smashed. We need so much more time than that. It's just, it fucking kills you. And I was like, oh, wow. I did it in 17 days. And I'm not saying I'm a hero. I'm saying I'm an idiot, really. So I had, I knew that once I got about halfway through that, the ride that I was going to have to ride most of the way. It wasn't going to be much stopping many like two or three days in you know this area, so on and so forth. But I decided, okay, cool. Oh, while I was riding, I was like, right, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to enjoy Vietnam like a tourist and stop at a number of different destinations and maybe make it half the way of the length of the country from Saigon to maybe Hue in the middle? Or am I trying to ride the length of the country to complete this motorbike ride that I want to do? And at the time, I thought to myself, you know what? It's the latter. I'm going to try and just complete this ride, ride the length of the country, and it's going to be awesome. So that's what I did. If, if I was to do it again, which I will do some part of riding Vietnam again, for sure, it was one of the best trips I've ever done, I would give myself more time for sure because riding smashes your body. It really, really does smash your body. But a lot of people will... If you, if, so something that I could have done in 17 days is... Say Huey in the middle. There's a, there's a city called Huey in the middle. You know, you can ride... Riding for 17 days in the north of Huey would have been great. Riding 17 days in the south of Huey would have been great. So south would have been Dalat, um, 
Denang, maybe. I don't know. Um, down to Saigon. Um, forgetting the name, names of the other, other places. Then there's on the north is the northern route, so up near Sapa and so forth, some of the best riding you'll ever see, around Hanoi and so on and so forth. So, yeah, you really need a lot of time. You can just do it as a motorbike ride, just smash your body. And I had... It's still one of the best trips I've ever done, but was very difficult for me. So, um, I remember at one point, so I rode a lot of this by myself and a lot of it with some buddies that I made towards the second half of the trip. And um, fucking hell, I just remembered a funny story about Sean and... Oh my God. But um, so... Yeah, so I remember getting to the middle of this ride. So Saigon and Hanoi bookends top and bottom of the country. In the middle, there's a place called Hue. And I rented my bike from the most reputable bike rental in, in Vietnam. And they have, a, um, they have a store in Saigon, they have a store in Hanoi, and then they have a service center in Hue where you'll just get your bike chain tightened, bit of oil, you know, whatever, whatever you need. So... I got there and I remember getting to, uh, to, the, to the service center and I remember getting there and saying to, um, I remember a guy pulled in. So I pulled in and this guy pulled in, he was Australian and he had like, say, I'm like, you know, 5'11", dark beard, dark hair, so on and so forth. He's rolled in, 5'11", light, light hair, no beard, but we're both Aussie as fuck. It was just like looking in a mirror, but like looking in a fucking, you know, opposite, um, bizarro world mirror. Anyway, I remember talking to this bloke and I was like, how's your trip going, mate? And he's like, oh, dude, fucking unbelievable. So he's going north to south. I'm going south to north. I said, what's been the highlight? He goes, oh, dude, you know, and he's t- talking about, you know, places he's been that I'm going to go to. I'm giving him tips from my perspective. And I said, man, how good is this ride? And he looked at me and I'll never forget it. He looked at me, this is going to sound a bit corny, but he looked at me and goes, it's the ultimate freedom. And I literally was blown away. I was like, you know what, bro? That is the best. I couldn't have explained it any better. So yeah, just being on a bike, you know, I had a headphone in, so I'd have one headphone. So I'd have like tunes going, some of the best, like, you know, I listened to um, a couple of audio books while I was, probably three audio books while I was doing the ride and you're just so engaged, but you're also just so, you feel free. You feel free. You really do. Um, so that's why this guy's statement of the ultimate freedom, it couldn't have been any more bang on. It was just, and I went through some of the f- wildest stuff. Like I went through, towards the end of my trip, I had to ride out of a typhoon. I had a town that was overflowing. Um, Fong, uh, no. Fuck. <laughs> Damn. Uh, ah, I don't know what it's called. But I... Um, I, oh, that's really pissed me off now. That's really pissing me off. Um, anyway, the town was overflowing. I had to flee from, a, um, I had to ride out of a town before it was underwater. Um, I had times where, uh, I had times where I was riding in the darkness of night. I had no battery. The battery on my phone had died, so I had no GPS. And I didn't know where I was going to stay. And I was riding in a torrential downpour and the fucking light on my bike would go about two meters. And I was going, I was riding 30 kilometers an hour. <laughs> it was like, oh man. And I deliberately chose to do it that way. I ch- chose to like land, ride, figure it all out as I go. Um, like a true adventure or like a true idiot mainly. Um, but uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty ripping. Um, 
so there's a place in the middle of Vietnam, roughly, that's um, called Phong Na, Phong Na Ki Bang National Park. And um, man, it's that's one of my one of my top three favorite hostels of all time. It might even be number two of the top three, but it's definitely not number one because number one is Lockie Del Mar in Mancora in Peru. And this other one is called um, Easy Tiger in Phong Na. And just one of the best hostels you've ever seen. Just good vibe, good food, good environment, party but not too much, adventures but not all about adventures. Like got a pool, relaxing area, live music every night. Just got its own bar and, sorry, got its own um, restaurant. Far out, man. It was so good. But... Phong Naki Bank, so it's the largest cave system in the world. And they have the Paradise Cave, which is just a day trip. Um, Lonely Planet voted Paradise Cave the world's most beautiful cave. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. They have, um, and then they have a number of different caves that some of the caves, there have been less people to get to the end of that cave than have gotten to Mount Everest. Because it was only discovered and become um, open to the public about four years ago. So probably five or six now because I was there about 18 months ago. So it's very um, raw and unblemished really. So it's, it's, it's really incredible. Phong Na National Park. One of the coolest things I, that happened there was um, I was riding around and made heaps of friends and that was the one place that I spent probably like three or four days where I actually settled and um, took some time to explore and just have a good time um, meeting people and, and drinking a few beers and stuff like that. Um, Hooked up with an um, English chick. She was uh, crazy, actually. It was pretty funny. But um, And then went crazy afterwards. But um, so Phong Na, if I was to pick, if I was to combine my 40 plus countries I've been to, and let's say all those countries I've been to three or four places. So let's say I've been to 150, 200 places. I would be, if you gave me five five spots that I could go to again that I had to delete everything else and I could say I've been to these five places in all my traveling history, Phong Na would be one of them without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, it was just so sick. Had a really cool experience there where um, these young um, Vietnamese boys, so I was just like, I was bored one day and I was like, you know what, everyone's kind of hungover. Um, I was just like waiting for people to, you know, get some excitement and get back from tours and maybe like wake up a little bit or whatever. I was, I mustn't have been hungover or just, I was just, I just wanted to get out and get on the bike. So I got on my bike and I started just riding aimlessly around Phong Na. So that was cool. And just kind of like, yeah, cool. Taking a left here, right there, whatever. Just loving it. And then I get down this dirt gravelly road and I'm, I'm riding along. I'm only going like 20, 30 kilometers an hour. And then I see this group of little kids, probably like 10 years old, I reckon most of them, but they all, they were all different ages. Cause I think it was like primary school kids. And so they were from like five years old to like 12 and they were walking home from school. I assume. Um, anyway, they're like, mister, mister, jumping up and down, mister, mister. And I've ridden up and I'm like, Hey, how's it going boys? What's going on? They can't speak any English. All they can say is mister, thank you, please. Whatever. Mister, mister, mister. And they're pointing into the bushes. They're like, mister. I'm like, what are they fucking looking at? And then they've got rocks. So all those kids, all these kids have like one or two rocks in their hands. They're like, mister, 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 watch mister, watch mister. They have this rock and then they're throwing it in the bushes. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Mister, 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 mister. And then I look and this kid throws this rock and I watch the trajectory of the rock and it goes whoosh, straight past this massive beehive. And I'm talking like two and a half 
feet by two feet by two feet of bees and I was just and it's literally like 10 meters away or, no not not even that far not not that far at all four meters away and I was like oh these little dudes are throwing rocks at bees this is mental so I park my bike I'm like yeah boys what's going on give me a rock give me a rock anyway so they're throwing having a go they're like come on come on they're laughing their heads off I'm throwing rocks at this beehive they're throwing rocks at this beehive I'm laughing high-fiving we're nearly getting it like just so good and then finally I've gone the old sideways throw where you're like like when you try and skim a rock across the water at the beach I've gone the old sideways piff and I've just gone and then and the beehive exploded and I'm talking like must have been a million bees in there and we and they came after us so me and these little Vietnamese lads were like run and um, we ran as fast as we could and then uh, fucking we didn't no one got like, eaten by bees but it was just one of those real nice experiences where I probably shouldn't have fucking thrown rocks at the other, let's be honest. But it was just nice um, because there was no communication between the two of, uh, sorry, between the two parties, like me and the kids. Um, well, no structured communication. There was Mr. Thank you, look, fucking, I think they could say fuck too. They were like, fuck, fuck Mr. Fuck, fuck Mr. Fuck. Um, so that was about it. But we both just, both parties, like, we just we just got it, you know? We just, um, it was really nice. It, it probably sounds a bit silly, but it was really nice. Um, so, yeah, so Vietnam. Mm, Vietnam was mad. So good. So many funny stories. Um, my friend, Sean. So, I met this dude. Um, I met this dude, Sean, in, um, in Hue. Hue is like the middle of the country where the um, service center was. So I was in Hawaii and by, this, by the time I met Sean and I met a number of people there, I met heaps of people at this hostel. But by the time I met Sean and everybody else, like I'd been traveling by myself for a fair while and like the majority of the time riding by myself for like five days and that gets pretty fucking boring to be honest. It's awesome, but it's also like, it's a little bit lonely, you know? So I was keen to meet people, but I met Sean and I'm like, fuck, I don't know about this dude. I just wasn't really clicking with him. I didn't know him. And then some people just click with instantly. I knew he was a nice guy, but I was just like, yeah. And then, and then anyway, so Sean's like, oh, do you want to um, ride to the next place together? And I was like, um, yeah, all right. And then anyway, he was fucking around in the day and we we're supposed to meet at this time or whatever. And then it wasn't really working out. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I'll meet him at the next joint anyway. I'm going to see him and we'll have beers or whatever at the next place, but I can't really be bothered riding with him and I don't really want him slowing me down or me going too slow for him or whatever. So I was just packing my bag and I was just going to take off because he'd kind of like, he was late anyway to where we were supposed to meet and I was going to, I think I left him a note and then anyway, just as I'm about to leave, he rolls in and he's like, hey, what's going on? Are we going? Are we going together? I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. So, so anyway, I jump on the bike with Sean and um, we start riding and we get about, like, we get about, 20 minutes down the road and there's this big intersection like hundreds of bikes hundreds of cars T intersection not a T intersection um, just a stop sign it's like you know going everyone going all directions north, south, east, west and I'm right in front of Sean and we said to each other we said I said to him actually because I was like just a bit off it I was like mate if we get lost we're not looking for each other we just meet at the next spot because we're never going to find each other we don't have range enough to call and we just, it's just, it's fruitless. So, so if we lose each other, we just bomb along, we catch each other at the next joint. 
So anyway, he's like, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking like in an hour now. So it's about eight hours, six hours ride that we had in front of us. So I'm talking in like three hours, four hours, not 20 minutes in. So I'm sitting there at these lights. And um, anyway, Sean's right next to me, but like left and just to the back. And the light goes green. I'm riding. I'm going 20 kilometers an hour. I get through the lights. I look to my left. Sean's not there. I'm like, right, okay, cool. He's definitely not in front of me because no one had really passed me because I was kind of towards the front. Riding along, where the fuck Sean? No, nah, he's not behind me still. All right, pull over to the side of the road, look around. No fucking Sean. I'm like, what on earth has just happened? Like, what is going on here? So anyway, I'm like, well, fuck it. Fuck this bloke. Anyway, what, en- what ended up happening was we, were, we both knew we were going straight. Like, there was no fucking way you would turn right where we were. And Sean turned right at the lights. And I was right next to him, but in front, leading the way. He saw me, I went straight, he just kept on going right. Anyway, so I'm riding along and um, this is like two hours later. Yeah, I'd say it's two hours later. So it's probably like nearly three hours in and I'm riding along and I just hear, meep, 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 meep. I'm like, fuck. Meep, 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 meep. I'm like looking around. Meep, 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 Dude pulls up next to me. It's Sean, just on the horn. Beep, 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 beep. We're like, yeah, fucking oath. And this fired me up. You know, I wasn't really into this dude at the start. I was into him, but I just wasn't into like riding. Someone hadn't done it yet. So at this stage, it just fired me up and fucking like, I'm like, yeah, we're on. We're high-fiving as we're riding. Wow, let's go, mate. And then um, anyway, so well, let's get some lunch. Let's get some lunch. So we sit down and get some lunch. And then by this stage, you know, after sitting down and having lunch with Sean, I'm like, I really fucking like this guy. He was real like low-key, real softly spoken, real like, he was a Welsh dude and he was one of those Welsh dudes that I just felt like everything was just like hard luck on him. It was just like, kind of like his lot in life but he was the funniest bloke and the best guy. Like he was a fucking legend. Anyway, so we're having lunch and I'm starting to really like Sean. I'm like, yeah, this guy's good. Let's let's carry this on for sure. This is going to be good fun riding with this dude. There's going to be some funny stories. I could just tell there was going to be some funny stories. And then anyway, so um, I'm riding along Sorry, so we're having lunch and um, we're sitting down and I'd been riding through, um, there's basically two roads that you can ride from north to south of Vietnam. One of them is along the beach, like effectively Highway 1 and one of them is through the mountains near the border of Laos, which is like fucking just jungle bashing. I mean, it's all, some of the roads are dodgy, but it's mainly paved roads, but it's just like, it's a hectic trek through the jungles of like, no man's land in the middle of Vietnam. And the rest is, like I said, Highway 1. And when I was in Dalat, starting my trip, roughly, the guys told me, they're like, hey, the locals were like, don't ride highway, I mean, don't ride the mountain passes because it's too dangerous for someone on their own. I did it anyway, because I'm an idiot, like I said. So by the time we got to Huey, there wasn't that much of the mountain pass left. But mind you, the mountain pass is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. And the Highway 1 is along the coast, so you get a lot of beach, but it's nowhere near as pretty. So so anyway, so I've had days and days and days of riding in the mountains. Where we are now, me and Sean, we're at this particular juncture and we're on our way to Phong Nha National Park, the cave system that I spoke about. <clears throat> so after day, days and days in the jungle, there's really only about three or four hours of um, the mountain pass left before it gets to Phong Nha National Park and then you can't r- really ride that anymore. Then it's just like a different road. So 
Sean, who's been going Highway 1 the whole time, hasn't seen any of the jungle. So we're sitting at lunch and we're like, hey, Sean goes, hey, dude. Um, so we're about, there's about three, there's about three and a half hours of light left and we have about three hours of ride ahead of us along Highway 1 to get to Fongna National Park. So it's perfect, you know. That's gonna, so you don't want to be riding in the dark if you don't have to. As the lights that you get are fucked. They literally go two meters at the best of times. And it's just so much more element of risk and danger. So, so anyway, so we're sitting down at lunch and Sean goes, hey dude, how's the mountain pass? There's a particular road name for this mountain pass, but I'm just going to call it the mountain pass. He goes, how's the mountain pass? I said, oh dude, it was breathtaking. It was like, you know, when you, when you see like Vietnam war movies or just Vietnam in general, tourism, tourism um, advertisements, you see like the jungles of Vietnam and you see that mist rising out of the jungles. It was like that every day. Like it was spectacular. So I'm telling this to Sean and Sean's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Let's do it. And I'm like, what? He goes, let's do it. I said, what do you mean let's do it? He goes, let's go in there tonight. Let's go back to the mountain pass and ride that way to, to Fongna. I'm like, nah, dude. It takes for one, an hour and a half to get in there. And then we've got two hours of light left and we've still, you're further away from Fong Na, it's four hours of ride from there, then. I'm not riding in the dark. That means we're riding in the dark. Best case scenario, we're going to be riding in the dark for two hours. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. I'm like, nah, dude, I'm not fucking doing that. That's way too dangerous. That is sketchy as. And he's like, he's like, oh, no, no, no. Come with me, come with me. I haven't seen the mountain pass. I'm like, I've seen it, bro. And I'm not fucking going. I'm not riding in the dark, dude. And... He's like, all right, fuck, I'm doing it on my own. I'm like, you shouldn't do it, bro. He's like, no, 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 it'll be sweet, it'll be sweet, it'll be sweet. I'm like, well, you know what? It will be sweet, you know. It's not the fucking craziest thing on the face of the earth to ride in the dark for a couple of hours. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go the, the main road. I'm going to go the main road. Like, I'm not fucking around. I'm so tired, whatever. I'm just, and I don't want to ride in the dark. And Sean's like, well, I haven't done the, the thing. I, and I also want to see the sunset. All these other bits and pieces that I'm just like, yeah, dude, you can go do it, but I'm not. And that's me, like, I've only just met this bloke, right? It was one of my best mates. I'd be like, oh, I'm in it with you. I'm in it together. <laughs> but I was just like, fuck, man. I met him like five hours ago. Um, I'm not doing it. So anyway, so I get on my bike and I start riding and something fucks up along the way. A couple of things fuck up. And I spend the last 45 minutes of my ride riding in the dark. And all you can see is just like, oh, not all you can see. You can see fuck all in front of you and all that's happening is just bugs in your eyes, bugs in your eyes, bugs in your eyes, bugs in your eyes. And it's just like, oh, you can't put sunglasses on because you can't see anything. It's like, oh, this is the absolute pits. This is every fucking person's worst nightmare. So anyway, I get down into this joint, have a shower, fucking sit down for a sec, go down the bar and I start talking to this um, uh, chick. I was sitting by myself and she just came and sat next to me. She was drunk. She's like, oh my God, why are you sitting by yourself? She was pretty, this girl. And um, I was like, oh, I just got in. I'm real tired. She's like, oh, do you mind if I sit and eat here or whatever? I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I sit and hang with this chick for like three hours, probably two hours more like. So by this stage, it's probably like 10 p.m. And then, um, <clears throat> so I'm like, where the fuck's Sean? And then, so I'm like, hang on a sec. He should be arriving around now, 10 p.m. Like that's, you know, two hours of ride in the darkness, blah, 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 whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just going to hang around. I'll maybe have a read, sit on my computer, just chill out till about midnight. Like I'm going to wait for him. I stay up till midnight and 
no sign of Sean. At this stage, I'm like, fuck. What I reckon has happened is he started riding in the dark and he's like, fuck this. This is too sketch. And he's got a night somewhere and he'll arrive tomorrow. That's what I'm assuming. So I'm like, that's all right. Hopefully nothing bad has happened, but I'm sure it hasn't. So it'll be fine. So anyway, so I, uh, I go to bed. I wake up the next day and I totally forget about Sean, really. I'm just like, have breakfast and I'm going to get on the bike and go do some tours and stuff with some people that I met. Or this, this chick, Netta, who was in my hostel, um, in, my, in my dorm. She's like, hey, let's be buddies. I'm like, okay, cool. So anyway, as I'm about to take off, Sean walks through the fucking door. He's actually already put his bike down um, and he got in late last night, actually, but he was up doing some stuff in the morning. I'm like, yo, bro, what's happening? Fucking good to see you. What's going on? What happened last night? I look at him and he's got fucking cuts and scratches all the way from like middle of his quad, which is as far up as I can see from his shorts, all the way down to his leg. He's got like severe burns. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? He goes, yeah, man, I fucking hit a, um, I hit a something. I hit a curb going around a corner that I didn't see in the darkness and I fucking slid out for like 10 meters and, you know, showed me up his back. He's got all his stuff. I'm like, oh, dude, oh my God, I felt pretty bad. I'm like, fuck. Anyway, so it's illegal for a local Vietnamese person to house a foreigner. Like it's, it's illegal in their country. So he's like knocking on doors. His bike is busted bad. He can hardly walk and he's got no food or water. And he reckons all he needed was water. He's like knocking on doors. Please can I have some water? Please can I have some water? People are yelling at him. Like get out of here, get out of here. Get off my deck, get off my lawn, fuck off. Next house, same thing. Next house, same thing. Then someone finally gives him a glass of water. He's like, oh my God, fucking thank God. And he's like, can I stay here? I need to sleep. I need to sleep. And people are just going, nah, no deal. Fuck off. Get out of here. Anyway, so he's like, fuck, I'm going to have to ride somewhere. Like, I'm going to have to ride to a hotel. So he goes back to his bike and he realizes that his kickstand, um, his kickstand? Yeah, well, whatever you start the bike, the kicker, whatever, the kickstand. Um, anyway, it's bent so fucking bad that he can't actually kick it to start it. It's bad. Like, as, as he fell, he fucked it. He also didn't know that he broke his um, second gear. So, um, so he had gears one and three. So anyway, after about two hours of walking up and down the street, he finally finds his family that will give him some food, give him some water, and they gave him a hammer, one hammer. So he goes back to his bike, never done any fucking mechanical work in his life, and fixes his kickstand over the course of like 45 minutes, just banging it with a hammer. Fixes it so that it's bent back into shape enough that he can kick it, start his fucking bike. So he kicks it, starts his bike. <laughs> anyway, so he's riding along, and at this stage, he's, you can see two meters in front of him and he's riding along this mountain pass, like dodgy roads, corners everywhere, whatever, and he's got no second gear. So he's riding first gear. So he's riding 15 kilometers an hour. So instead of going 40 kilometers an hour and it taking fucking six hours or four hours, whatever I said, he's going 15 kilometers an hour in the middle of the night and he can't see fuck all in front of him. And I'm just, he's telling me all this and I'm wetting myself. Like, I'm like, what the fuck, man? And then anyway, <clears throat> he goes... He goes, then I get to 45 minutes from here. I said, yeah, he goes, and my light breaks down. I was like, your light on your bike breaks down? He goes, yeah, pitch black. I don't know where I am. I don't know what the road looks like. And I don't know where I'm going to fucking sleep. I was like, dude, what the fuck did you do? And he pulls up his iPhone and turns the torch on his iPhone and he goes, this. And oh my fucking God, I've never laughed so hard in my life. So imagine Sean, right? 
It's like 3 a.m. He's in Vietnam. He's riding with one hand in first gear while his right hand holds the light on his iPhone, the torch on his iPhone to light his way. And he got in at like fucking 4 a.m. I felt like a bit of a fucking cunt, to be honest, because (laughs) he really wanted me to go with him. And um, I didn't want to go because I knew that shit would happen. Like, I knew that would happen. And I should have probably gone with him, but... I didn't, and um, that's the Sean story. And f- oh, fuck, man, he he was the funniest dude. Like that was not the end of what happened to Sean on that trip either. <laughs> like he just went through. But I love that bloke. I started off as like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if I want to ride with him. And I'm so glad I made the decision to do that because he was an absolute just fucking. He's just a legend. He's one of those guys that you say he's a legend, and you really mean it. Um, anyway, so I'm absolutely knackered. That's been an hour and a half nearly. And we only got through three of, um, it was originally going to be top 10 places to travel um, in the new year. So I might do another one um, next week and I might touch on some Mexico, Iceland and Japan. So obviously I haven't told you nearly anything about Brazil, South Africa and Vietnam, but hopefully I told you some engaging stories about (laughs) some of the stuff I've done traveling. So um, happy new year to everyone. Welcome to 2020. Um, I don't like to set... um, news resolutions but I actually heard one of my friends Pete on a podcast and he borrowed this quote from somebody else and I want to leave you guys with this even though it's got nothing to do with everything I've just talked about so instead of um, New Year's resolutions have a think about this quote and see if it might help you um, in having a good 2020 it's certainly helped me how are you complicit in creating the conditions you say that you don't want How are you complicit in creating the conditions that you say that you don't want? That's the quote of my 2020. It's gotten me off to a really good start to put a few things into perspective. I hope you guys have an awesome 2020 as well. I'll get back in and do some more um, places that you can travel for um, for 2020. And then we've got some really exciting stuff coming for um, for the rest of the year. So that's it. I've been Doc. This has been Brolosophy, Philosophy Through the Eyes of an Idiot. And um, see you next week. Alright guys, if you enjoyed that show, please subscribe, uh, you know how to do it, uh, plenty, of, plenty of places to subscribe including YouTube, uh, also if you feel like leaving us a rating and review that would be great, um, tell your friends, send us an email if you, if you think um, you, you really enjoyed something on the show, make some noise in the social medias, we really, um, our community is how we will grow and we love you guys, everybody that's listened and, and been there, um, new listeners and listeners that have been there from the start, so um, but our show today is also was brought to you by True Protein, so make sure you check out trueprotein.com.au. Use the code BRO for 10% off. Also, check out Yeti. Head to yeti.com.au forward slash BRO for all the best coolers and drinkware in the, in the business. And then also check out... Oh, that's funny. Siri has just um, let me know that she or he doesn't really know anyway so sorry about that and then yeah lastly check out athena.co that's athena with a y and you will get 20 hours of free virtual assistant services using the code bro when you inquire at athena see you next week